Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We'll continue in on, on what we're looking at here, manifesting spiritual realities. And uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that our lives can be the white pages that your word is imprinted upon. Lord, may it forever settle in us like ink that we can be a representation of you, Father. Father, that people can look at our lives and see and know that you are God. Lord, that we can be a portrait that you've designed, that we can show off your magnificence. Father, that, that we know that we're independent and we're individuals. And Lord, that your fingerprint is upon us. And Father, that we can stand in this earth at this time and, pour, and just proclaim your goodness, your greatness, your hand, your works to your creation. We thank you, Father, that your spirit is speaking to us right now. Put another word on the page. Show us our next step. Lead us one more day. We praise you, Lord, that we know you've planned it out. You've prepared it. You've established it. And we rest in it. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, glory. I never know where I go, and then I close my eyes, and we're someplace. Anyway, that's just... No idea, man. <laughs> Prayer is wonderful. I just, I just love it because I don't even know where it comes from. Um, inside, inside. Um, so we're going to continue to look at this. What I never ended up actually telling everybody is what, what we're gonna, our, uh, what do you call that? The snippet, the description that that is being put forth for the meetings. As far as that goes, I know I told you the title was Manifesting Spiritual Realities. And so I'm going to read this to you as far as that goes, and then we're going to go right back to our primary text, which is uh, Corinthians 11.3. And so if you guys want to turn there to 1 Corinthians 11.3, you can do so. And I'm just going to say this. Manifesting Spiritual Realities. We're looking into seeing, in, into the unseen spiritual world. Wait. We are looking into moving the unseen spiritual world into our physical one to reveal the thinness of the veil that supposedly separates the two. God has revealed in his word keys to the door that hold the treasures of heaven. We'll look at the key that started it all, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life the only way to the Father, we believed and confessed his finished work on the cross and in so doing submitted ourselves to our new master. Our primary scripture, of course, is 1 Corinthians 11.3. And so we will enjoy as we begin manifesting the supernatural power of Christ in our everyday life. And so we'll go in here and... Uh, as far as a review, the only things I guess I wanted to do really fast would be we're quick to listen, we're slow to speak. We take the time to lay aside our own personal agendas, to hear. I mean, that's what we have to do in prayer, too. We lay aside our own personal agendas so that we can be quick to listen, and then we respond out of that. And then we started to learn that we, had to, we have free will, and we know that no person can serve two masters. And so we have to realize either we're going to serve one and despise the other. Oh, and so who are we serving? 
Where are we looking? What does that free will come into, into play? And, and so our free will happens to be that decision that we make. It's our belief. And so, and so we, we just kind of looked in on that really fast. We saw that there was an example in the Old Testament of how they put tassels, a little blue scarlet tassels on their clothes as a reminder that they would look on it, that they could remember. And it helped them stay singular in thought, that they would pursue a certain master at all times, which was the Lord and his ways. And so we'll look into some of these things here today. So let's look again at 1 Corinthians 11.3. It says, but I want you to understand. Understand. That was our point of conversation last time. We wanted to know how to under, make somebody understand or listen. And that's what we got there. I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman. And God is the head of Christ. And so we have headship, headship, headship. In this, we got we got three times that it's mentioned here, and so here's here's a uh, note that uh, was wrote. This was not me, but it's very well done. So that's why we put it in our notes, so we can look very well when we read it. Um, anyway, the principle behind Paul's words here is submission. When you got headship, you'll find that there's submission, the, which is the key element in a smooth function of any business, government, or family. God ordained submission in certain relationships to prevent chaos. Mm -hmm. So, it is essential to understand that submission is not surrender. It's not surrender. These are good. It is not withdrawal, and it is not apathy. This is, not, this is not submission. It does not mean inferiority. Because God created all men equal. Okay? And they all are made in his image. They all have equal value. Submission is mutual commitment and cooperation. Mutual commitment and cooperation. Thus, so God calls for submission among equals. He did not make the man superior. He made a way for a husband and a wife to work together. Right? Okay, okay. Jesus Christ, although equal with God, submitted to him to carry out the plan for salvation. Who's going to go down there and save this humanity that we desire? I will. The son steps forward and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. Likewise also, although equal to man under God, the wife should submit to her husband for the sake of their marriage and family. Submission between equals is submission by choice, not by force. And boy, howdy, did I start finding this throughout the, the, the submission scriptures that everybody likes to quote all the time. I'll throw, the, I'll throw one of the good ones out at you. Let me see if I can grab this one here. You know, the marriage ones, because them are the ones that everybody liked to hit so hard. So let me, let me grab that one, because this, I did this the other day with my, I saw it at the house, and I went, what? Let's see, I got to get out of, uh, I got to get into the ones that I grew up marriage on. Preach it, preach it, yeah. Oh, oh! Brace yourself. That's what you're saying. Yeah, got to get into my. There we go. 
Love this. So if you cared to know which one it is, not, that's the wrong woman one. We got, I got all the women ones here. Just a <laughs> glory to God, yeah. Yeah, come on, we got to get to the women ones, all of them. No, I'm just joking. There's a lot, I'm telling you. Where did my thing say? It was to themselves is what it says. It says that we are not to make them subject. No. Uh, how come I, I didn't highlight any of these things. These are just scriptures, you know. I mean, why would I highlight the scriptures? There it is. It, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 24. The women are to keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves. Just as the law also says. So those domineering people that are telling them to shut up all the time didn't read the scripture that said, I mean it says, and this is of course in a cultural thing, and I'm not going to get into all the cultural relevance here, we're going to deal with the spiritual um, applications, just so you know when we get into some of these, but um, yeah, but subject themselves. I'm like, wow. So it's a personal relationship with God that got you to heaven. Hmm. I guess it's not because somebody else made you go. Yeah, right? My mom made me go to church or whatever. So that's why I'm going to go to heaven is because they made me. No. You got to subject yourself to Christ. And so, okay, we'll continue. Anyway, willful, we are serving God in these relationships by willfully submitting to others in our church, to our spouses, and to our government leaders. So we're going to look here into this problem that, that uh, Paul was addressing here a little bit in 1 Corinthians 11. And so he's addressing an issue in the Corinthian church, and uh, we'll, we'll find out that the, actually the only remedy for this issue is submission. The only remedy for every issue you have, every argument you ever have, will be submission. It's going to be the only one. There's only one way. Like I said, there's only one way to heaven, right? Jesus has to be the master. Oh, yeah, he's got to be our head. He's got to be our master. He's got to be our Lord. If he's not, you're not going. Narrow way, you slipped. That's, this, is, this is that way. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11.2 tells us about a problem. It says, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. We see, first of all, that we got, uh, or hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered. We got traditions that start to build. Traditions are ways of thoughts and things that have been built, and, and, they're devel- and so we sometimes, we got to watch out because we're traditionally thought, right? We're traditionally taught by our upbringing, we're traditionally taught by our culture, we're traditionally taught by all the things around us, but where do we need to find our teaching? I'm being rewrote into the, and conformed into the image of God himself as I allow my traditions to slip to the wayside and Jesus Christ to show up in my life. And so, we continue not to have my way, but allow him to have his way. And so, the, 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 the next 10 to 15 verses here kind of breaks down through this 
what's going on. And this is where I said I'm not going to get caught up in the cultural application. This is talking about a woman praying with her head covered or uncovered and stuff like this. But we're going to go through and look at the spiritual points that are happening in it. Okay? If you want to study this all out, you can. Um, I, I'm going to read something later that tells me the most wonderful thing when the Lord this is literally how he started this entire thing was this scriptures here and I went God you are great because here's what the one commentary says this is this literal translation is one of the most difficult verses in all the New Testament to translate and to interpret properly scholars and translators are divided in how to express this verse with proper meaning thank you Jesus my name's Mike Hill and I'm going to explain this to the people Right? <laughs> anyway, glory to God. Yep. No mountain high enough. No valley low. Anyway. <laughs> God's with me wherever I go. Anyway. Uh, okay. So we're going to look in on this a little bit. I'm just going to kind of bounce. Like I said, I'm not going to read all this text. I'm going to we're going to, I'm just letting you know the problem that's being addressed here is about prayer and different things in their church at their time, in their cultural time, and I'm going to look at how it was formed. <coughs> okay, verse 10, this is an interesting part of this. It says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. This is awesome. But if you look back through there, I mean, like I said, it, I mean, for if a woman is not covered, she's more, or, or her hair is short, maybe it's shameful for her, and so, so you may want to cover it. Um, cultural things about that was, I mean, some of those look like temple prostitutes. They had their hair shaved. So why would you want to look like a temple prostitute when you converted to Christianity and showed up in the church? You'd want to not show that, right? Okay, like I said, lots of cultural things here that you could dig into, and I, I don't have the time for that, so I have to just continue to stay on this task. Um, and so we see, though, that the symbol of authority here, this, this part of this is so awesome because uh, the, the, okay, so I'm just going to break into this. Paul uses the Greek word excusia for authority. It's E-X-O-U-S-I-A, excusia, uh, and we will get into that more when we get into authority, um, but we're still dealing with the submission side right now, which is used for the authority of God, the authority of kings, the authority of rulers. Um, it can be, can be translated might or right, but it never occurs as a metaphor speaking of a piece of apparel. So when they talked about her head being covered with authority, it's saying that she has the authority Authority. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Let me, I, just a second, I can do this. Um, it's not a symbol of authority, but a true authority on the head under which she ministers. This is giving her her authority. She, she placed herself in a place. Um, so if you want to, you know, before Pentecost, a woman was not seen as anyone without authority. I don't know if you realize what they were treated at women in other in the other cultures then they weren't I mean they were traded they helped you um, get power and might you could sell them you could uh, you know get a good dowry you would do these different things but um, but they didn't have as much value and the Lord this is the beauty of it when God steps onto the scene in the gospels he steps on with angels to a woman when God steps out of the Gospels, we, we see that Jesus appears to Mary, 
and Martha. We see that women get value with Jesus. He brought them up and said they were created as your equal. The Gospels open and close with angels appearing and speaking to women. And we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And he's called us up. And we're not going to sit at the bottom where people have thought humanity was dregs and rags and things like that. We're not created in our own power, but we're created in his might. And so we sit in that place. And so let me continue here. Um, Oh, yeah, how about this? Uh, At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell upon men and women, giving each person the authority to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and to prophesy under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So, um, yeah, the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and uh, the angels of God greeted the women at the empty tomb. The Gospels are covered with it. I, I just want you to realize that their head comes in under Christ as well. Okay, so uh, let's go to verse 16. This is interesting. We're going to continue to dip down through this. It says, but if, <laughs> so th- there's a little battle here. We got this long hair that's for a covering. If you want a covering, because why wouldn't anybody want to show their long hair? So now we're covering it because of pride. At the first time, we were covering our head because of disgrace. If we were shorn and we look like a temple prostitute. Like I said, we got different ways that we're addressing this. And, and so, I'm, but isn't it true? I mean, Women know this, right? You got people that are, right? And you got people that are, you know, hat day. No, I'm just joking. Uh, But verse 16, but if anyone seems to be contentious, whoa, that's, that's a good one. We have no such custom. We were dealing with traditions, right? That's what he started off this. In the beginning, I'll just read it. Um. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know the head of every man. And that's, how, that's those first two verses. Okay, we have no such custom. No one gets to seem to be contentious. We don't get to do it. The uh, New American Standard says inclined to be contentious. We've met contentious people, haven't we, before? This is the only time this Greek word is used in the entire Bible, so I don't get to go anywhere else with this, just so you know. But we do not get to be inclined to be contentious. But, so, we're coming down through this. we got a problem that has arisen in the Corinthian church enough that Paul's going to address it. And as he starts to look into it, he goes, no, the woman has a symbol of authority upon her, given to her by God. And he goes, but they don't, we don't get to be inclined to be contentious. And then we're going to jump into verse 18. And, and they start, to, they, they kind of, they put a divider in there for conduct of the Lord's Supper, but we're, we're going to continue his thought because it runs all the way through here. He, he deals with another issue, but he puts it all together for the same answers. Um, Verse 18 says, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So I'll say this, that when you have somebody that's inclined to be contentious, you'll start to create division. 
Okay. Now, this word here, when I start to get to the word division, I can actually go in and look this one up a little bit more. We got about, I think there's nine or ten scriptures that give me some opportunity here. And, and one of them that I want to look at, yeah, let's see, is going to be, oh, so Matthew either 9.16 or Mark 2.21, they're basically the exact same scripture, but Matthew 9.16 and Mark 2.21, this is based off that word division. We're going to look at it, and this is what this says. I love this. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear, division, results. That word tear is division. Now, so here's the cool part about this. I'm going to put one thing right in here, right between on the second time the word patch is, or the time the word patch is used. I'm just going to read it this way. Um, for no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for, now get this, that which fills it up. What kind of church are we? What kind of people are we? We're vessels, right? We're full of the Holy Ghost. We're full of God. What happens here? When you start to pour God into a situation, for that which fills it up, the patch pulls away from the garment and the worse tear results. So when God starts to come into your midst, you'll start to see divisions because we are inclined to be contentious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We start to pull away because we're supposed to be getting filled up. God showed up on the scene. This place for all your revival stuff. God's on the scene, and all of a sudden we start to get our own inclinations to contentions, and we start to form divisions. And the God that's trying to fill us up is now running out a hole, and we lost the containment factor. The ability to stretch and conform and move with God. John 7.43, I'm going to go through a couple of these on this word division. John 7.43 says, so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Jesus had made a statement, and, and, and I'll let you look at the surrounding on these, and I'm just giving you a picture of what, how bad this division looks when this happens that Paul's talking about. In John 9.16, it says, therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others are saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them, a tearing, a rendering, a pulling apart, because God was being poured into a situation. Again, you can look in at Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.10, now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you may be made complete and in the same mind, in the same judgment. Unity. I, I, that's where I always was dumbfounded. I don't remember when I got the revelation, but uh, the, what, you know, what denomination do you belong to? Which division of the united body of Christ? I mean, I, I, denomos means division, denominator. What denomination are you? I, I just like, what? I, I realized that we screwed up a long time ago. 
and we're still sitting in these places. But we're, God, Jesus is coming back for a purified bride. We'll reach across aisles and, and names and things like that, and we'll do it. I mean, as long as we put the name Christ in front, we can do it. Glory. So, uh, and again, the same type of statement is made in John 10.19. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Jesus was saying these things. Uh, I love how uh, John Bevere, it's, been, it's crazy that we're reading this Beta Satan book right now in the middle of all this because he, he's dealing with many of these issues. Uh, and Jesus didn't come out and try to offend anybody. That was never his intention. He did offend people because he was on a path to his purpose. And when you're purpose-minded and you're walking towards what you've been called to do, you know what? If you happen to have a fortified city, you may lose it when they come in. If you happen to be of giants, of the Anakim, or whatever, you may die. There are things that don't seem nice, which the only time I found that in the Bible, you don't want to find the word nice in the Bible. When you find the word nice in your Bible, pay attention to what it's about. It's not a good thing. It's a twisted word. Anyway. Um, and so, I'm going to continue here. There, there's a filling up that the church needs and must be attained. It takes the free will of men to submit and not pull away and divide from the main body. There is a loss of covering and a loss of unity. Glory. Again, we can look here at 1 Corinthians 1.10, and now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there's no division among you, but that you may be complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oh, we're going to be complete. So now let's go back here to 1 Corinthians 11.18. That was our, our little sideline to find out what this word means 1118 so for first of all when you come together as a church I hear there are divisions pulling away loss of covering loss of power see that what good leader is Paul I see a problem and I'm addressing it and in part I believe it he says I know that this is here so, I hear that. Now, now we, we're going to slip down into verse 19 and the first part of it. For first of, or, 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 okay, and I believe it, for there must also be factions among you. Whoa. So, we started this dividing, and a faction is heresies or sects. You've now determined that you were of the sect of the Nazarene, right? That's what they were accused, to be a sect, a cult, a pro Oh, you are word of faith people. You tore yourself away from the main body with this stuff. Or you are, you know, Pentecostal, charismatic, evangelical, I don't care where you want to go. We are traditional. 
whatever. I don't care. You start these people, they start to pull and divide and rend, and we don't have the anointing and the power anymore. Why? Because we shut the spigot of power off. Because we refuse to be submitted to the one who gave it. We took our free will and said, my way. So there's a progression that takes place um, that, that move from, tri- from division to faction. This can be overcome by submission. To not submit is to not rectify the problem. So the answer now is actually found in the last half of 1 Corinthians 11.22. And the, the last part of it says, because they go into, like I said, the eating and the drinking for the Lord's Supper. And the last part of it says, um, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Ooh. Shall I praise you in this? In this woman kid uh, covering issue that you have? In this eating and drinking drunkard communion problem that you have? Shall I praise you in this? What's he say? I do not praise you. I do not. These are stern words. I mean, uh, <laughs> I love, I, uh, yeah, what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Is this, in this I will not praise you. The answer is the same as Paul's. In this I will not praise you. Stern words uttered in love wrote, penned by the Holy Spirit, to be eternally relied upon to speak to the character and nature of God, God reveals his displeasure in an unsubmitted attitude. So, um, this, is, this is Paul's teaching that if we conduct, if our conduct offends and divides a church, we are to change our ways in order to promote unity among the believers. I mean, um, yeah, in, in, our, in our Beta Satan book, uh, he brought that out about Jesus paying the temple tax. Because he asked Peter, you know, who pays the tax? Do the, do, the, do the king and his sons pay the tax? Or do the, you know, the people that they rule? And it's the people they rule, right? Does the president pay taxes? You don't pay taxes. Oh. So why is Jesus, the Son of God, going to have to pay a tax? Well, he goes, nevertheless, lest they be offended. Ooh, see, that's offense. What did he do? He humbled himself and said, I'll pay the tax. His father's got this. How the Lord showed it to me was any demand that's ever been placed upon me that he put me in a place to be demanded, he fulfilled the needs for that demand. He has never put me in a place. He's never tested me beyond what I can endure. He's never left me forsaken or alone. He's always come through. He's always caused me to triumph. He's always been there for me. Rub up against me and you'll find a consuming fire. We'll burn you, baby. I mean, that's just where we'll go. 
So who changes? We do. We do. We do. We submit our free will to the higher thought of God's. I stole this quote, and I think this is the exact one you read from John Bevere's book uh, at Men's. But I, wrote, I love this. When I read it, I was like, whoa, I had to get it in here. Um, Spiritual growth is a function of neither time or learning. Spiritual growth is neither a function of time or learning, but it is a function of obedience. I don't care how long you've been around or how much you know, if you haven't been a doer of the word, you didn't grow. That's it. Submission. This is where, hey, we got there. Your faith depends on it. (laughs) I wanted to get here. Glory to God. We made it. Submission. Your faith depends on it. So in the beginning, in Genesis 1, this is part of this journey the Lord's taken me on this year. When I I, I reread the Bible every year, I, I just... Just what the Lord's called me to do at this point, and he just hasn't relented, and it's just been very, very good. Um, And this year, when I went into Genesis, because you know the story, right? Everybody's read Genesis, even the little kids. Everybody knows Genesis. You know you start it every year? It's like you've done it every year. I mean, anyway, wow. Um, I go into Genesis, and the Lord starts to hit me. And I'm like, what? And in the it says, and God said, I'm like, yeah, he said. I know he said. He always says, right? And then it's good. I know it's going to be good. It's going to be good. God's going to say, and it's going to be good, right? He showed me the middle. I'm like, I'm, I, what? He showed me the middle. There's something in the middle of every single six days of creation. All six days, he does something in the middle between saying and then saying that it's good. He does something. He does something. He does something. He does something. He tells you to do something. Oh, well, okay. Well, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll crack you just a little bit of it real fast. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, uh, verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, and it was good. He said it. He saw it. It was good. Okay, Uh, verse 6, then God said, and then verse 7, God made. What? God made. God said God made. That's an action. So was sawing. Not this one, but sawing was an action, okay? My English, my pulpit. No, I'm just joking. Uh, Anyway, God made. He puts an action. Verse 6 says, then God said, let there be a firmament. Verse 7, thus God made the firmament. Whoa. Said, made. Verse 8, God called the firmament heaven. Okay. So said, made, called. Verse 9, God said, this is for waters, let the waters under the heavens be gathered. What is that? 
Action. Action. Who did it? Somebody. Maybe, maybe he was the one that was dwelling over the waters. Or maybe he didn't know. Whoa, God, you're taking away the waters. I was hovering here for a second. I mean, now what's, what's going on? But somebody gathered. He said, gathered, and he called. Called's an action too. Dry land. Dry land. Sometimes you've got to define things in your life. As God's calling you into things, define those things into your life. I'm not going to allow this to stay as it was before. The Lord called me to gather this, and I'm now going to call this a family. I gathered what I didn't have before. I'm not wrote in the image of the culture and the people around me. But now I sit in a place that the Lord put me, and I will gather it, and I will call this family. And God said, it's good. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth. Whoa. Man, God, all you're doing is making everybody work. Bring forth. Bring forth. I mean, bring forth your tithes and offerings. Bring forth. What happens if you sit there? Does it ever come forth? Action is required And if you look through every day of creation, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Faith without works is dead. Genesis 1. Faith without works is dead. They'll probably think that I'm misquoting it, but I don't care anymore. Yeah. So, in the beginning, God submitted to his word with action and created manifesting spiritual realities submit yourself to the word of god and see what he created naaman's leprosy left only due to submission do you really want your way do you really want your way To continue in your rotted flesh, your miserable pains, your lack of of finance or things. I mean, Naaman had finance at least in this thing, but you spend all you have on the doctors. You, You push all these things off because you have to have your way. It's a dirty, nasty, smelly, low, muddy river that you're gonna walk me into, God. You really want me to minister to that person now? What if somebody sees me talking to them? Well, live in your pain. Huh? Humility. Naaman went into a dirty river and came out with baby soft skin. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Maybe it doesn't matter where you go as long as you do what he told you to do. Right? I mean, when I play in the mud, and I play in a lot of mud, taper, (laughs) anyway, (laughs) everything dries out and cracks, man. The more water and mud I get, the worse I am. That is not what I think a leper would really want on their skin. 
he probably had washed in dirty water before. It really agitated what he already had. Oh, Lord. Okay. Submission is not easy. Okay. Submission is not easy. Numbers 25. I, I, this, is, this is a good, this is, I like how the Lord brings some of these things to me. Because these are the things that you're like, where do you get this stuff from? It's a Bible. That's, that's where we're going here. Numbers 25, verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Oh, they're so pretty over there. Anyway, um, God, just, it's whatever it is. For some reason, they, the guys just thought that those new girls were just so pretty over there. Um, and uh, they invited the people to their sacrifices. Hey, we're going to have a party. Any, you guys look good. Want to come to the party? Anybody want to come over here? We're just going to have a good time. Welcome to the Super Bowl. Um, whatever. Oh, no, I'm just... <laughs> we got to get from there to here, right? Somehow. So they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. Ooh. Oh, crud. Did I just say that part? After using the word Super Bowl? Oh. Anyway. <laughs> oh. Crud, this is getting deeper fast. Uh... They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. I, I just, I, they were pretty girls. I just went over there with them and went to go have a party, and I don't know how this got me. I was enticed by my own fleshly desires, and now I've found myself in a place that I do not want to be any longer. Verse 3, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people. <sighs> mm-hmm. And hang the offenders before the Lord. Out in the sun that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who are joined to Baal of Peor. What have you done to your family? Submission is not easy. Those guys killed their own mem family members that were lost. Submission is not easy. Moses didn't do it. He told them to do it. It's their family. It was their members. They had to submit to the word of God or suffer the wrath of God. On a more pleasant note, circumcision seems like it was good. Um, at least you lived. Uh, 
I don't know, right? I mean, Abraham, circumcise your family. Circumcise your kids. Why did you not do this? Why did you take a knife and this is a covenant of blood? They throw down. It's because it's of life and of death. It's only two sides of the coin. How about Nathan, the prophet, talking with David? They're having that wonderful time at the one point. They're having this conversation. David's talking about all the things. He just loves the Lord. and He tells Nathan, man, I, I just want to build the Lord a temple. Um, I want to make it great and grand. He's given me so much. He's wonderful to me. And, and I just want to build up a memorial, something to honor him, a place. It's not right that I dwell in a palace and, his, and his, uh, the Ark of the Covenant dwells in a tent. I just want to create a place for God. And Nathan says to him, Oh, you do what's right in your heart. Be blessed. That's good. And he leaves. And God wakes up Nathan that night, tells him, Nope. You go back and tell David, he's a man of blood, and he don't get to build the temple. But I have to swallow my words then. I'm a prophet of God. I already told him, you do what's right in your heart, for this is good. So he has to go back to David and tell him, no, the Lord says no. You must allow your son to do this. What you thought is good is good. It's just you're not the man for the job. Can we take these words? How about later when Nathan has to Go confront this friend, this king, David, that he had had this intimate conversation with. When all of a sudden the Lord speaks to him. And he has to walk into the presence of the king. And he says, oh king. There was two men. And one had a mighty flock. And his sheep. And the other had but one lamb that they loved as a dear lamb, a pet in the house. And the kids played with it, and they loved this lamb, and they held it close. And when the rich man with his flocks had a friend come over, and they said, well, let's kill a lamb, he went and took the one lamb from the other and slaughtered it for a meal for his guests. And David says, who is this man that would do such a thing? For he should die and be repaid, I believe it's four times, Second Kings, or no, Second Samuel 12, if you need the account. He'll pay four times for this. And Nathan, his friend, has to look at him and says, Daniel, you are that man, for you touched Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba. 
and death enters David's house. The first child that's born to Bathsheba dies. The second time we have another death is we have Absalom slaughtering his family. We have four deaths and David's words that he speaks over and pronouncement that day come back upon him for he judged and it was judged to him. He lived a submitted life. We have to walk in full obedience. Full obedience. Submission, of course, is not agreement. It's not easy. It's not agreement. We, we have the best picture of this. Oh, crud, I got to go. You're just going to have to stay with that. We're out. We're going to do it. I'll pray real fast. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you're continuing to walk with us and show us who you are. We thank you, Father, for the picture that you're writing on our hearts of what a submitted person looks like. And we will look into your son and we will see a manifestation of what we have. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.